Last week in 1 Corinthians, we saw how Paul addressed his second rebuke to the Corinthian church. The members of the church in Corinth, as we saw last week, were a lawsuit-happy church. They were taking each other to court. They were not only airing their dirty laundry before a lost world, but they were defrauding and wronging one another, Paul says. There was a great lack of understanding among this church about, the one, the place of forgiveness in the Christian life. Secondly, there was a great misunderstanding of who they were together as the body of Christ. And thirdly, the authority that the Lord Jesus Christ had given them to judge themselves and to handle such matters. Maybe because Paul says believers are to judge angels in the world, certainly you could handle such things. There was a great sense of revenge in the Corinthian church, of getting even. And obviously we know that's contrary to the Christian life and what the Lord calls us to in his gospel. And now Paul goes straight from that to verse 9. And he says in verse 9, Or do you not know? This is the third time Paul uses this phrase. And it always implies that a correction is coming. He does this 10 times in this letter. Do you not know means, all right, here comes another correction. As in, come on, guys, you should know better. What, Paul? What were they supposed to know better? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous is another name for the unbeliever. It's the same word that Paul uses in verse 1 of this chapter. When he says, how dare you take these matters before the unrighteous? Well, why are unbelievers unrighteous? The name implies who they are. They're not righteous. So then we must ask the question then, what is righteousness? Righteousness is to be holy and pure and not doing any wrong. Righteousness is who God is in his nature. God is holy good and pure. The unrighteous are not like God. They are full of sin and wickedness and evil. And that's what makes them unrighteous. They are unlike God. And as we know, every human being is born this way, including everyone in this room. We are all born unrighteous. We are all born Sinners inheriting a sinful nature that has been passed down from us from our father Adam, which is why there is death, for the wages of sin is death. We're all sinners, therefore we all die. Every human being is born unrighteous, and this is a problem, as we will see, as what Paul says, what they do not inherit. As it is written, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, none is righteous. No, not one. Yet there's still some people who live as they're born that way. There's people who, born, who believe they're born neutral and then they just become bad. No, we are born sinners. We are born sinners with a depraved heart and mind with a rebellion in us to defy our creator. And this is what Paul says. None is righteous. No, not one. And that unrighteousness comes with consequences. Which is what? No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
question might ask, how did they become unrighteous? Well, as we said, they inherited it. They inherited it from Adam, the first man, who God held liable when his wife Eve took of the fruit, and he partook with her, and sin came upon the world through Adam's rebellion. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Because of this sinful nature that has been passed down, every person is therefore conceived in sin. We pass on to our children who we are. Not just DNA, but we passed on our guilt, our sin unto them, our nature as they're made in our likeness, as we were made in our Father's likeness, going all the way back to the garden. And there is consequences for sinning. There's consequences for being born a sinner. And what are those consequences that we already said? Death. The consequences of sin is death itself. And therefore, all people who are born unrighteous, the Bible classifies being, them being dead in sin, which means no spiritual life, no desire for God, no love of God in their hearts, no desire to do what is right for God's glory, but even if someone wants to do right, they do it for their own glory, their own pride, their own ego. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1. Paul says to the Ephesians, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Yes, one of the consequences of being born unrighteous is that we are born dead in sin. Not only that, but because we're born unrighteous, we are born with the wrath of God being placed upon us from the first second of our existence. Romans chapter 1, 18, and because we have God's wrath upon us, there's also another consequence. In Romans 1.18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. There's that word, of men. Who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? Suppress the truth. So what can be known about God is held back in an unrighteous person's mind because by their own sinful nature, they put up a wall that they cannot hear. They become spiritually deaf. They become spiritually blind. The unrighteousness that is built into us from birth is unsurmountable by our own strength and power. There's nothing we can do to get rid of it. There's nothing we can do to conquer it. It is only by the grace of God that anybody overcomes. And we also, Jesus says, that we are, because of our unrighteousness, slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. And John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This unrighteousness also makes us hostile to God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes to the Colossians, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. 
It's amazing. This is the due penalty that we have by being unrighteous. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says. So what does this mean? What does it mean to inherit? To inherit means to become an heir. It is to receive something that is left to you. Maybe you have received an inheritance from, an, from a family member. They, it was theirs, but now that they're no longer here, they have left it with you. We also have an inheritance as people who have believed and have been born again by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the kingdom of God. But, Paul says here very clearly, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does this mean, Paul? Who then can be saved if all are unrighteous? Well, he'll get to that in a minute. But what do the unrighteous not inherit? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The word kingdom in the Greek literally means the rule of God. It's the rule of God. The kingdom of God is sometimes seen by many as just a spiritual place or heaven where God dwells with his saints and angels. But the kingdom of God is much more than that. The word implies much more than just a physical location. It's where God rules and reigns. So the question then must be asked, where does God rule and reign? Everywhere. He's not just king of heaven. He is king of the earth. He's the king of the created order. The kingdom of God then is where God rules and reigns. The kingdom is here and now in a spiritual sense. As his gospel is being proclaimed and spread to the elect around the world. As the church serves as an outpost of the kingdom around the world. But when the Lord Jesus returns in all his glory, the kingdom of God will not just be a spiritual reality, but a physical one. As we see in Revelation that he makes a new heaven and a new earth. And even the apostle Peter tells us this, that when God makes a new heaven and new earth, it will be a place where righteousness dwells. Second Peter chapter 3, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are awaiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Of course the unrighteous do not inherit the earth. Why? Because there's no unrighteousness there. It is a place where only righteousness lives. Righteousness rules. Righteousness dwells. That's what eternity will be like. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It is where there is no sin, no wrong, no injustice, no evil, no wickedness. Sounds like a good place, doesn't it? May it come as soon as possible, please. But this is what he's saying. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's a place where there is no unrighteousness. It doesn't exist there. So what, Paul, what, what are you, what's your point? What's your point in saying this? He says, let's go back to verse 9. Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived. What's Paul saying? Don't believe lies. Don't be led astray. D 
Do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Don't, don't be deceived. It's time for some soul-searching, Corinthians. Some of you are deceived into thinking you are righteous when you're not. Why? Because what you say does not match up with your life. You are not practicing what you're preaching. And as a result, I don't believe you really believe it. And therefore, even though you think you are righteous, you are really unrighteous because you've never been born again. That could be the case for some of the Corinthians. Do not be deceived. For if you keep living like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It'll be proof in the pudding that you never knew the Lord to begin with. Remember, this comes on the heels of what Paul just said about suing one another, defrauding one another. What is Paul saying? That's how lost people live. That's how the unrighteous people live. The unrighteous take each other to court and try to get as much as possible and hurt back as much as possible as they can. And if you're living like this, like them, what is that really saying about what you really believe and where your eternity will land? Do not be deceived. And can I tell you that that is probably one of the most sobering things as a pastor that I could ever think about? is that there are people who are greatly deceived about their eternal soul. People who think that being a Christian is just about being a good person or being moral or showing up to a service or doing some good deeds or reading your Bible. You could, let me tell you something. You could do all those things 100% and never miss a day and still go straight to hell. Good moral people, from a human perspective, go to hell. Born-again people do not. Those who have been saved, those who have been forgiven, redeemed, filled by the Spirit of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb, who put their faith alone in Jesus alone, those people no longer are unrighteous. The proof is in the pudding. Who you are always comes out. Do not be deceived, Corinthians. If you are living this life defrauding your own church family, what does that say about the state of you? Do you not know that the people who live like that do not inherit the kingdom of God? He's speaking some hard truth here to them. If you're suing one another and defrauding one another and and he's, pro he's also including the man from chapter 5, which we'll see in a second. Who, the guy who was having uh, sexual relations with his stepmother from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's how the unrighteous people live. And then he goes on to give this list. He goes on to give this list of some characteristics of who the unrighteous people are. And this is amazing. And just in case you think I'm just talking about suing one another, this is what Paul says. Do not be deceived, neither, not just only the unrighteous, but if you're trying to figure out who the unrighteous people are, let me help you. This is what Paul says. Neither the sexually immoral. Again, the sexually immoral is the same word he uses in 1 Corinthians 5, 1, about the man having that improper relationship with his stepmother. 
It covers a wide range of sexual sin. It's the Greek word porneia, where we get our word pornography. It covers vast amounts of sexual sin. He's lumping that man in this list, and he says, people who live like that are showing who they truly are. And then he goes on to list other sexual sins, not just that. He says, nor idolaters. Now, this is a fascinating word, but in context, it's not just people who are bowing down to statues. When he talks about idolatry here in first century Greece, what Paul is referring to is people who would go to these pagan temples and worship false gods by having sex with temple prostitutes and worshiping their gods in their own sexual way. Whoa. The word idolatry there is much more than just bowing down. But in that context, it was going to these pagan temples and engaging in their rituals of how they worship their false gods. And really, it also covers a amount of truth. Really, all idolatry is rooted in untruth. Anyone believing anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is an idolater by definition because they worship something else besides King Jesus. He says, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. And he says, nor adulterers. These are people who are not faithful to their spouses in marriage. Again, Remember here that Jesus is going, Paul is talking much more than just the physical action of adultery. He is getting to the heart of the matter as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went through and shocked everyone who listened because everyone was always saying the same thing. Don't kill, don't steal, don't get angry, don't cheat on your wife. Okay, good. I haven't done any of those things. I'm going to heaven. But remember what Jesus said? You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say anyone who lusts after someone else who's not his spouse has already committed adultery in their heart. Whoa. This goes much more beyond just having a sexual affair physical affair. It goes down to the recesses of our hearts where lust reigns. And people try to excuse this sin in so many different ways. You know what the world says? The world says, maybe you've heard this expression, it's okay to look at the menu as long as you don't place an order. You know what I'm talking about? No. That's lust. Jesus says, if you even think about ordering off the menu, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now think about what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying here. Nor adulterers, nor, here, listen to other sexual sin, nor men who practice homosexuality. The ESV translation here is good, but literally in the Greek, it says this, men who have sex with men, plural. And there are two words here, which is translated men in our English, but it's actually two words used for homosexuals in the first century. 
The first one refers to one who is passive in a homosexual relationship. Some translations like the King James even use the word effeminate. It's the man who acts like the woman in that way. The other word is used for a man who has sex with another man in that way. Paul says both of these are sinful and unrighteous. Yes, homosexuality is wicked and unrighteous. Why? It is a violation of God's law and the natural order. God created them male and female, and a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the scripture. That's God's order and design. Some people say, what's the big deal if two people who are in love with one another sleep with one another or get married? Love is love, right? No, God is love. And you can't define love by itself. God is righteous, and anything else contrary to that is unrighteous. Nor thieves, in verse 10, nor the greedy. These two groups of people represent different commandments in the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal, thievery. You shall not covet, greed. Nor drunkards. Is your life overtaken by alcohol? Are you controlled by foreign substances? That's unrighteous. Nor revilers. This is a person who's a gossip or a slanderer, someone who stirs up strife by sharing stories to destroy other people instead of handling it God's way. Hmm. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What's a swindler? It's a con artist, someone who likes to cheat other people out of their money or how about those scammers that try to call you or try to hack your whatever? Don't fall for that stuff. All these people are unrighteous. Why? Because they're not like God. God is the opposite in every single one of these. God is holy. God is faithful. God designed sex and marriage. God is honest. God is content. God is truthful. God is pure, care with full integrity. Again, why is Paul saying all this? It's easy for the Corinthians to say, oh, yeah, okay, that guy, 1 Corinthians 5, got it. Yeah, let's deliver him over to Satan like Paul says. We're good. We cleaned up ourselves. That's the only sin that matters. Paul is saying, no, it's time to look at the church. Look at yourself to see who you are. Because this is important. Why? Because eternity is at stake. And some are deceived, thinking, oh, I said a prayer. I've been going to Sunday school since I was, well, the first day mom brought me home from the hospital. I haven't missed a day of church in, ever. Do not be deceived. The fruit that grows off your tree will show you what's at the root of your heart. This is what Paul says here. 
Like we said a couple sermons ago, what Paul is addressing here is not people who just do these things, but do them habitually. They make them a current practice without repentance. That's the problem. As we said earlier, if we went through this list and said, if you've done this, leave, the whole room would be emptied. And we'd say, everyone in this room is going to hell. That's, that's not what Paul's saying here. If you continue to live like the world and you say you're a Christian, you better double check your heart. Something is wrong. You can't live a sexual lifestyle outside the boundaries of marriage. You can't be a serial, continual adulterer and think you're a Christian. You can't be engaging in homosexual acts or desires. You can't be worshiping other things other than God. You can't keep on stealing. You can't keep on slandering and gossiping. You can't keep on cheating other people out of your mind and think you're righteous. Repent. You cannot identify as any of those things and say that you are a true Christian if that's who you are now, and Paul, what Paul is saying here, then you are still unrighteous. And again, the question is, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's heavy, isn't it? But then we thank God for verse 11. Oh, do I love verse 11? Verse 11 is a ray of hope and sunshine. What does Paul say next? And such were some of you. Honestly, I think that's probably one of the most beautiful phrases in the whole Bible. And such were, what's he talking about? Homosexuals, adulterers, cheats, drunkards, thieves, idolaters. Two things to note here about that phrase. One, the Corinthian church was made up of people who committed all of these sins. All of them. In case you don't know, the church is made up of sinners. Did you know that? Christians are not squeaky clean people. They are not people who have never had issues or sinned grievously. There's no such thing as anyone who has never sinned. If you say that, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That's what 1 John says. That's the first thing to realize. Who is the church? Not squeaky clean, holy roller people who are better than anyone else. Who are we? Such were some of you. And the second thing to note about that phrase, this is not who they are now. This is written in the past tense. Such were some of you. That's what makes somebody righteous is when it's a past tense because now they've been righteous, declared righteous, justified by faith, and they are no longer these things. They've been saved and bought with the precious blood of Christ who has made them new. That's the difference between a 
true Christian and someone who is not. That's the true difference between someone who believes and who doesn't. Is that these things have been repented and their lives have been transformed by the power of God's grace. And their current life is not defined by ongoing sin without repentance. In fact, in recent years, some denominations and evangelicals have adopted a more affirming posture toward the sin of homosexuality. And when I say affirming, I mean accepting or approving of their sin. And this is done in defiance of the clear reading of the scriptures. And they have appealed to what they believe is a higher authority, the opinion of the world. And some, in, in order to make sense of these things, have even made a new category of Christian. Even some very prominent the, uh, evangelicals in recent years have come up with what is called gay Christianity, for example. Some people identify as a gay Christian. Can I tell you that there's no such thing? There's no such thing as a gay Christian. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is in the Bible. And such were some of you. So were men who practice homosexuality. Corinthians, you are no longer those people. You were those people, but you not are those people now. Such were some of you. A Christian is one who is not identified by his sin. What you have done in your past life, listen to me, does not define you. No matter how heinous or wicked or gross or disgusting it was, that does not define you if you are in Jesus Christ. And this is the glorious message of the power of the gospel. That those in Jesus Christ are made new and set free from the bondage of sin and slavery. This is why we could speak of these things in the past tense. And to identify as your previous life shows that you don't know Christ. And for some reason, the only thing, the only sin that's acceptable to create this category with is homosexuality. For who goes around saying, hey, how are you? I'm Dan. I'm an adulterous Christian. It's just me. I keep cheating on my wife, but I know God. Who says that? No one goes around and says, hey, I'm Dan. I'm, I'm a greedy Christian. That's my identity. Or, hey, I'm Dan. I'm a murdering Christian. Why don't we say that? Because it's stupid. And does not understand the power of the gospel. And such were some of you. Past tense. That's who you were when you were born and unrighteous. But now that you've been saved, you are no longer those things. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a, there is new creation 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New, not the old. You're new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let go of your sins. 
God has said he has separated your sins as far as the east from the west. So why are you trying to identify as it? It's crazy. These are just some excuses to make things right today. But they're evil and wicked. And these lies that even some evangelical preachers are saying are leading people straight to hell as they think that they do not need to repent and turn to Christ. And that is the most hateful thing any person or preacher can do. When it comes down to it, you are either a were person or an are person. Who are you? Such were some of you. You either are a were person or an are person. It's not that you have done these things. But is your life continually identified by these things without any repentance or care in your heart towards God? That's what Paul is trying to communicate with here to them. Now listen and hear me. I am not saying that a genuine Christian can't have struggles or temptations of things that they used to be involved in and still struggle to do today. We're at war in our flesh. We will continue to fight, but a true Christian is one who fights and doesn't surrender. Who doesn't wave the white flag and say, well, this is just who I am. No. If your life is characterized by these sins and there's no war in your soul, no visible fruits of repentance, do not be deceived. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what makes you a were person? I'm glad Paul tells us. Let's go back to verse 11. What makes a were person? But you were washed. The word wash means to be clean or to remove dirt. Of course, here it's talking about the stain of sin in our lives. This has to do with regeneration or new life, new birth, being born again. Like Titus says in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We didn't have any righteousness. All we had was unrighteousness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You were washed. If you were washed of that, you're no longer carrying those sins in your body. This is the glorious news of the gospel. Not only were you washed, you were sanctified. You were sanctified. The word sanctified means to be made holy. Is it, Dan, do you know me? I'm not holy. Well, let me explain that. And by the way, the Gospel Forum Conference next Saturday, the whole theme is on pursuing holiness. So I hope you come. What does Paul mean when he says you were sanctified? The word sanctified means to be made holy. Meaning the day you believed, the moment you believed, God in that instant made you positionally holy. 
He placed you in Jesus Christ. Therefore, anytime God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your thieving. He doesn't see your greediness. He doesn't see your adultery. He doesn't see any sexual immorality or idolatry or perverseness of your heart. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to your account. You are positionally made holy because of your justification. Now, practically, day to day, you're not who you ought to be, right? Or I'm not who I ought to be. I am being sanctified as a process as time goes on. God is cleaning me up. I am a work in progress as such as you are. But there was a moment where I became in Christ. That's what it means to be made. You were sanctified. God put you in his family, gave you his spirit, and those those sins of your former life no longer define you. And therefore, you're no longer unrighteous. But Dan, I've committed adultery. I've had improper thoughts and motives. I've cheated people. I've stolen from people. I'm greedy. That's who I used to be. If you are in Christ, such were some of you. You're no longer those things. Stop beating yourself up. That's the hope and good news of the gospel. And then lastly, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The word justified means to be declared righteous. It's a judicial term. Think of a courtroom where a judge is pronouncing a verdict. You stand before the judge. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, God the Father declares you like a judge would declare innocent or guilty. He declares you righteous. But do you know what I've done? I may not, but God does. And guess what? Through the notorious work and faithfulness and obedience of Jesus Christ, who died even the death of a cross. He has taken everything that Christ is, everything that Christ has done, every ounce of obedience Jesus ever lived in his life, and he added it to your account as if you had done it. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as unrighteous anymore, Christian. He sees you justified by his grace declared righteous. I was born unrighteous, but when I place my faith in Jesus, I am now righteous. Why? Because I've been forgiven of all my sins. I'm not clinging on to them. I'm not identifying them. I'm not making excuses for them. No. God the Father took the righteousness of Jesus Christ, added it to my bankrupt account, and when he sees me, he doesn't see me as the unrighteous person I was born and all of my stupid things of my life. He sees me as holy, pure, righteous in Christ alone. And such were some of you. And I know as I go through this list, some people in this room might feel a heaviness because of sins you have committed. If you are in Jesus Christ, let it go. For if God no longer holds it against you, why should you? 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is trying to say here, he's trying to give them a message. You think that just the guy sleeping with his stepmom in chapter 5 is unrighteous. You think just the guy who's cheating the other guy out of that is unrighteous. But what you don't know is that this church is made up of fully unrighteous people by birth. And if you keep living like that constantly, you're showing what the fruit of your heart truly is. You need to get to the root of the matter. For you're under God's wrath, and unless you repent of your sins and trust in Him alone, you will die an unrighteous person. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But for those of us, I mean, what do we do to inherit the kingdom of God? What do we do? <laughs> we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything He owns is given to us. That is amazing grace. So I'm asking you, who are you? Are you a were person? Praise God. You're no longer that. But then I still have struggles. Okay. Join the club. Fight. Never surrender. Don't walk to gratify the desires of your flesh. Pursue holiness in your life. Repent and remember the gospel. Even if you struggle, you are not those people anymore. But to not give a rip and keep sinning like nothing ever happened, that's a huge red flag. That's what Paul is saying here. Who are you? Are you a were? Are you an are? May God illumine his word to your heart that you may know what to do. May you be encouraged, Christian, of who you are in Jesus Christ. Such were some of you. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer now as we prepare ourselves to observe the Lord's Supper, to remember this glorious grace He's given to us. Father, thank you so much for your blessings for your word, for this good news of the gospel that's been given to us. Oh God, we rejoice that we are not the people who we used to be. We're not the people we ought to be. Oh Lord, that will never happen until, we, until we're with you. We're still struggling. We're still growing. We got a lot, a lot to be sanctified in. But Lord, help us to repent of sin. Help us to glory in your gospel. Help us to remember who we are. Help us to never make excuses for our sin, but call it out what it is. No matter who we are in this room. And I pray for those, God, who don't know you, who are not truly born again, who are still unrighteous, who are still one of those our people. That they would know the saving grace of God that they would know the glorious truth of Christ and the promise that you've made to all those who will believe. God, as we examine our hearts now, as we observe your table, do your work in us by your spirit for the glory of your name. In Jesus' precious name, amen.